Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, WBGO's Bob Henley takes us to Washington, D.C. for an inside look at the Poor People's Campaign. With Starbucks billions, Starbucks workers should not be poor people. Most of us are making under $15 an hour, and if that, in my eyes and everybody else, that is not a living wage. I'll chat with award-winning director, producer, and media personality Lisa Durden about her upcoming documentary, The Blind Divas. I don't think a lot of people know about the blindness community. We see, we see you with a cane, but not all blind people wear canes. And we'll hear from actor, comedian, and author Simon Farnaby, the screenwriter of the new Sony Pictures classic movie, The Phantom of the Open, the funny and true story of British golfer Morris Flitcroft. He was in somewhere where he didn't belong. He wasn't skilled. He was like, well, you know, I gave it my best shot. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. We've heard a lot about the push for more unions lately. That was certainly highlighted last Saturday. Union activists, their families and supporters, including busloads from New Jersey, came by the thousands to the nation's capital to participate in the Poor People's Campaign's call for a moral march on Washington. WBGO's Bob Henley has this reporter's notebook. More than a half century after Dr. Martin Luther King called for the first Poor People's Campaign in March, Reverend Dr. William Barber, the campaign's co-chair, welcomed the large crowd that amassed just outside the nation's Capitol building where back on January 6, 2021, a violent insurrection raged. More than 100,000 people are in these streets and on the way. Buses are still coming. Millions have joined us online. Pamela, however, is not here. She died because of poverty and the denial of health care and COVID. But today, joined by these young people who have promised that no matter what happens to us, they will not let this movement go. For five hours, March attendees heard speakers address the unmet needs of the nation's 140 million low-wealth and low-wage workers, roughly 43% of the population, including 52% of the country's children. Dozens of union activists, environmental advocates, and social justice speakers took their turn addressing the large crowd that extended for blocks. Katie Taylor is a Starbucks union organizer from Memphis, Tennessee. With Starbucks billions... Starbucks workers should not be poor people. Most of us are making under $15 an hour, and if that, in my eyes and everybody else, that is not a living wage. So therefore, we chose to organize, and that is reason number one as to why we organize. We are working under unsafe conditions, working with no protection between people, throwing drinks at us, throwing punches at us, and calling us slurs every day. And this is why we organize. It takes a Starbucks for almost 30 years to make what our CEO makes in a year. And to me, that's ridiculous. And that is why we organize. Before the march was underway, I asked Reverend William Barber to explain the role that he believes younger people are now playing in the 21st century social justice movement. Dollar General young folks and Starbucks, all of them will be here because at the end of the day, the same people fighting young people, fighting a woman's right to choose, fighting uh, living wages, fighting health care are the same people. And if they're cynical enough to be together, we, are, we better be smart enough, courageous enough, and strategic enough to come together, stand together, fight together, and change this country. 
Reverend Bernice King, an attorney and the youngest child of Reverend King and Coretta Scott King, is now the CEO of the King Center. She told me she was inspired by the work of New Jersey resident Chris Smalls, who recently led the efforts to establish the first Amazon warehouse union on Staten Island. We're in a season now of great sacrifice. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been in this kind of uh, period of time where, where people have not understood that daddy and them had to put a lot of stuff on the line. And we're at that place now. Uh, and so wherever these people, these young people are, they can organize, they can mobilize, they can strategize, they can plan. Dr. Cornell West, now at the Union Theological Seminary, told me he also found inspiration in the revival of the labor movement that's increasingly led by young people. We hear for the precious everyday people, especially the young people, the Chris Smalls and others standing up in the name of dignity and integrity, they're truth tellers and they're justice seekers. That's what the Poor People's Campaign is all about. It's the legacy of Fannie Lou Hammond, Martin Luther King Jr. And we're still swinging with the people. Back in April, the Poor People's Campaign released the first of its kind comprehensive study of COVID deaths in more than 3,000 U.S. counties that plugged in the poverty, income, race, and geography data points. What the data revealed was that residents of poorer neighborhoods were anywhere between two to five times more likely to die than people living in wealthier counties. The Poor People's Campaign has launched a voter mobilization effort to coincide with the November congressional election. In 2020, poor and low-wealth voters represented 35% of the electorate with millions more in the sidelines. Mary Kay Henry is president of SEIU. I think working people understand that we have to raise the stakes because the stakes are getting raised on us by denying voting rights, by denying access to abortion and health care, by denying the ability to join together in unions. Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign have asked President Biden to meet with the delegation of low-wealth and low-wage Americans at the White House in hopes of refocusing this year's campaign on their issues. In Washington, for the WBGO Journal, I'm Bob Henley. The award-winning director, producer, content creator, and media personality Lisa Durden is leading the production of Blind Divas, a documentary following Crystal Allen and Aquila Wright-Prevo, both of Newark, two blind black women entrepreneurs determined to challenge the stigmas and stereotypes about the blindness community. This is not just a story about two determined women who are everyday champions in the community. It's a story of triumph. Lisa, the last time I saw you, you were being inducted into the Newark Athletic Hall of Fame. You just do it all, don't you? Well, what can I say? I used to break cheeks on the track in high school. Um, but I, it's funny because I'm not shocked that I'm doing the stuff I'm doing because when you think about sports, especially women in sports, it's very important for us to participate in sports because you gain all kinds of skill sets. You gain skill sets called team building. You gain skill sets called winning and losing and how you can, when you lose, how you can, you know, get yourself together, move forward. So those skill sets, I didn't know as a teenager, is transferable as a producer. It's transferable as an entrepreneur. It's transferable as a person just living in the world amongst other people. So um, I'm not surprised, but of course, I'm sure some folks who grew up with me would think Lisa's doing films. So I, I kind of like use those skills now. I, I never made the Olympics, so I'm out of shape. So I just use it for films. I use the skills for films. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the, I, yeah. I, I did well. And those skills have led to some award-winning work when it comes to films and documentaries. How did you come across Crystal and Aquila? 
Yes, that's a good story. So I, um, Crystal found out that I was a, a filmmaker, um, a TV personality, a social justice um, journalist, because we were actually both, in, we were both uh, honored, another honor, in 2016 by um, uh, um, something about uh, our, uh, uh, something about um, Save my Our sister's, sister's Keepers. Yes, thank you. My Sister's Keepers in Newark, New Jersey at City Hall. So we're all, there were like several women being honored. You know, I was getting an honor for my journalism and media. She was being honored for her entrepreneurial efforts and so forth and so on. So the person who's the host was reading the bios and saying, come and get your award, Lisa. And then the next person, the next person, the next person. So uh, Crystal was listening to all the folks that came before her and all that. And then afterwards, we mulling around the room. And then she walked up to me. She had her cane. And um, I noticed it, but I didn't think anything of it. And she introduced herself officially to me and said, um, yeah, I heard about all the things that you do. I think we need to get together and, you know, just, you know, connect. I'm sitting thinking, okay. And then Crystal said, you know, let's exchange numbers. And then you can text me for, you know, for us to make a date for lunch. So I'm sitting here thinking in my brain, text you, girl, ain't you blind? But I... <laughs> But I luckily I had my in, inside voice that day and didn't say the words because you know we're very ignorant about the black community. So I was thinking, I'm thinking, that girl can't see. But then I said to myself, well, she said text her, screw it. Then I thought maybe she lives with somebody. So I just texted her and we got together for lunch. And so we were sitting there chatting and her phone starts to talk. Like it's telling her about her text messages and her emails. So, oh, I was just finding out, oh, that's how they know. So that's when I, and, and then from there, we kind of like just forged a kind of a friendship and she has the Miss Blind Diva pageant every year. So she wants to talk to me about, oh, I see that you're a TV personality. Can you MC for us? So it was like business slash get to know you thing. I said, sure. But while she was trying to do business with me, I was kind of thinking the phone talks. And th so I was like really intrigued by like how she, she got there on her own and, you know, access link. So I didn't know about all these ways in which this world called the blindness community, actually, they're very independent. I'm learning this just, you know, in real time. So that's how we met. And then I started to emcee their event, you know, not a problem. And then when I started to see, you know, the Dancing with the Blind event that they do every year where blind people get together with sighted partners and they do, they compete. Uh, then the Miss Blind Diva uh, Empowerment Pageant where I'm the emcee and I'm seeing these women, you know, uh, compete um, in showing their abilities and making videos and, you know, um, you know, changing their outfits and doing poetry and all their talents. And then um, over the years, that was in 2016, now we're in 2022, over the years, just being around them more and more as I call myself a mentor, auntie, and uh, of course, professionally as their MC of that particular event every year, I was approached by the... Uh, we do have a distributor, thank goodness, Lightbeam TV. They do all things positive stories. So I have a film on their platform now. It's a film called um, Girls Matter. So when I was uh, on the Zoom trying to work out the contract agreement, he said, oh, by the way, if you have something to pitch, we're also partnering with the African American Women in Cinema Festival this year, which was in 2021. And if you have something to pitch, why don't you pitch it? It's a competition to see what you can do. I said, okay. So then I just sat there and I was like, ding, ding, ding. And I thought, you know what? I don't think a lot of people know about the blindness community. We see, we see you with a cane, but not all black people wear canes. So I came up with this concept and I always pick on them. I call them 
divas. And, and Crystal can talk about how she has, she actually is the, the diva, the blind diva. So I always pick on them. So I said, I'm going to call this film Blind Divas because these two blind chicks are divas. And they're, you know, they're, they're culminating event every year is the Miss Blind Diva Pageant. So I thought it was a perfect title. And that's kind of how I thought, let me pitch it and see if anybody else is interested. So to your point, um, Doug, it's, it's, it's powerful. So when I sent the paper pitch, I became a finalist. Then the finalists have to pitch live at the festival every year, which was in November, 2021. I pitched at the competition, eight girls are pitching, eight women. And I, and honey, I had my pitch. I did my thing. Crystal was at the pitch talking about herself. I had the talent there and we killed it. And I won the competition. And so that's how I'm now standing here and they're supporting us for me to now produce this documentary short. And um, it's gonna be amazing. And frankly, they did give you some small money, but we always need more so we can finish the post-production. We're starting production slowly now. We're starting to film, but you got to edit and stuff. So we're always reaching out saying, please, if you have some, you know, resources or funding, don't hurt, don't hurt to share. But that's kind of how I came about them and why I thought it was a good concept to now pitch. And when people see this film, they're going to see exactly what I saw, just knowing them for years, that these women and this population is amazing. Crystal, before we get into your individual stories, you and Aquila, I wanted to talk about the stigmas. People really don't get the blindness community, right? Uh, some do, some don't. It's all about um, how you relate with one another. Uh, in New Jersey, there's an estimated... 259,000 residents with all various degrees of vision loss, including double sensory loss, deaf blindness. And um, that also includes people who wear prescription eyewear. So um, vision impaired is just what it is. The vision is impaired. And when different community members might see someone who's blind or visually impaired uh, walking in their community, and just living their daily life. Sometimes you might have those who might be a little more ignorant than the others, just because whatever you don't know, sometimes you just don't know. And um, our platform gives us an opportunity to educate our community, especially with um, all of us being NERC natives. Aquila, when you approach somebody, is it more difficult to start up a conversation do they do they look at you and 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 somehow, you know, is there is there a, a hesitancy if they happen to notice that you might have some vision impairment or or doesn't that matter at all? I'm I'm not sure because um, I'm not the stereotypical look for blind. So when I start up a conversation with somebody, I actually have to mention, oh yeah, I'm blind before they realize, oh wow, she really can't see. So I, I wouldn't really know if it would be hard to start up a conversation, but once I say it, it's a, it's a big conversation um, piece when I first meet somebody. And so once they have learned your story, I would imagine you just want to be treated just like anybody else. It's like, okay, so this is what I have going. What's up with you? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Tell us about being a part of this documentary, Blind Divas. 
how much fun was this for you? Being we're, a part we're at, well, well, we're at, you can just well, we're actually just starting production, so we're actually literally in full swing of production, so it's not over yet. So you can go from that point when you found out, you know, I was going to do the film about they can talk about when I they learned I said, I'm going to do a film about you, so go from that point because we're still like literally producing it. All right, so, let, let me take that again. Yeah, you go ahead. The film is in production now, Aquila. When you heard about the project really getting off the ground, what what were you what were you feeling inside? I was proud. I was proud of Lisa. I was proud of Crystal. I was proud of Eyes Like Mine because like we impact somebody so much that they want to show what they learned from us. So I was ecstatic and I'm still excited to do this whole documentary. So it's just getting the ladies, getting our old contestants to come through. It's just talking to everybody. I'm a talker. I'm personable. I love people. So it's, it's, um, it's great. I'll, I'm happy. Can you tell us a little bit more about Eyes Like Mine? Eyes Like Mine is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that started in 2014. Uh, Crystal and I, well, it started off the back of a breakup on a toilet. <laughs> so... <laughs> Crystal hit called me and she was like, Hey, Nicola, do you want to start a nonprofit? I was like, Huh? She was like, Yeah. And then, she, you know, she went into how she was feeling about her breakup. And, and I'm like, Listen, if you with it, I'm with it. I got you. I'm, I got you tenfold, 100%. I'm backing you. And then we started shooting around um, ideas for our organization name. And then we started shooting around ideas for our first event, which was the Eyewear for Eye Care fashion show. And then uh, when our first year or um, anniversary came up, um, we started talking about our different names in the community. Like, so Crystal is called Miss, it's called Blind Diva. Because when she was at Essex County College, people was calling her the blind girl, the blind girl. And she was like, listen, if you're going to call me the blind co girl, call me the blind diva. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So, I was like, <laughs> I was like I, yes. And so yeah. we started building off of the title she gave herself. So people, so she wouldn't feel so demeaned as a person because people was looking at her disability. So she made that comment into an inspiration to herself to keep going while she was there. So we wanted to make that an inspiration to all women who are vision impaired and going through their journey. So, and that's how Miss Blind Diva was made up. I call myself the newest blind sensation. That's, that's me. So we, we just was going off of things. That's how Dancing with the Blind came up because I'm a performer and we wanted to show off the performance aspect of people who's vision impaired too. But Miss Blind Diva came up because of her name, her title, how she carries herself. And it's kind of indicative to who she is as a person with Miss Blind Diva. I love it. And Crystal, when you think about you know, taking charge, it, it's all about ability, not disability. Uh, mm -hmm. when, it, when we talk about our skills, what's the best ability of Crystal Allen? Well, Lisa likes to always say what Crystal wants, Crystal gets. That's she correct. says, <laughs> Yes, it is so true. Go, ahead. go, ahead. go Crystal, go tell it, Crystal. Tell it. And she <laughs> likes to speak about my networking abilities because I, I 
I'm like Velcro when I connect with people. So, Doug, don't be surprised if we stay connected, okay? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and it's really just through my, I guess, personality. And I'm the oldest of seven. When I started losing my vision, it was really important to me that I could be reliable to my younger siblings. And I'm the only one who is uh, a person with a disability. So um, being able to always be that go-to person, being resourceful, and kind of like being a problem solver is a lot of what my networking abilities kind of fall on. And it has a little fun spin to it because me and Aquila just on social uh, engagement, we started uh, going out and taking selfies with strangers around Newark to let more people know about our abilities and the fact that there's a whole community of blind people all around the world. And in Newark in particular, being the largest city in New Jersey, you know, we are a community that's thriving. We're not just um, existing, we're living. And we are a vital part of the community uh, as well. So I let guess me, my networking is my strong yes. suit. <laughs> let me let me add this. So what my intention is with the documentary short named or titled Blind Divas, it's kind of a play on words. These are the two blind divas, but there's many divas as a part of the Eyes Like Mine Incorporated organization by way of many projects that they do many offerings that they have for the community, many events that they host that benefits the community. So what I, I can't capture everything, but I wanted to give people a little taste of, the, of what they do, like they have a resource fair. They're hosting, and we can give you the dates, uh, on June 25th, um, the Miss Blind Diva, I mean, well, not Miss, well, the document is called Miss Blind Diva, I mean, Blind Divas, but Eyes Like Mine Incorporated is giving a community baby shower for blind women at um, Express Newark. It's open to the public, so, you know, you can they can give you the, the website or how they can get involved and, and get, um, and it's free. Um, that's going to be happening Saturday, June 25th, so that's actually an event happening right here in Newark for blind women. Um, they have um, the Miss Blind Diva Empowerment Pageant itself that's happening in October, October 1st, uh, 2022. Uh, so, you know, go on their website. They can give you more information about how to register if you're a blind woman and you want to be in the competition. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. We we have social media, 100% YouTube. You can follow us and uh, we have links up there where you can follow the link and um, apply for Miss Blind Diva, the um, um, baby shower. And on Volunteer Match, we are, we're not only looking for divas, we can always use the help. And all of these events are to bring awareness, first and foremost, to the blindness community, um, to also, you know, invite others who are dealing with transitioning and adjusting to vision loss and thinking that they are alone. When me and Aquila met, we never met anyone who had our same condition because it was so rare at the time. And through us meeting each other, we built our friendship and we started our work to influence our community so that they can recognize us as people first because we are people. We may have a disability, we might have vision loss. And sometimes some people may or may not understand blindness. Some people might think it's weird. Some people might think we might be invalid <laughs> until they get to know us for who we are. 
because as I mentioned, we are people first. Nikwila is a mom. She works. She's an artist. She's mm-hmm. a massage therapist. I'm currently enrolled in school. I'm also a published author and I work also in the daytime and together through our friendship and bond, uh, we run our organization so that we can impact one life at a time uh, with our grassroots efforts. Aquila, I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, you talked about you're a real people person, right? You've got a great personality as we can, we can already establish. And that's so important in a documentary anyway, right? Because if you have the people who are engaging, people are going to watch and they're going to learn. <laughs> But Mm -hmm. I'm sure at one point, it was not as easy for you. So where was the point in your life that you took charge and why? Okay, so I went blind when I was 18. So um, what happened with me, I was... I woke up one day, I was blind in my left eye, blurry out my right. And I literally walked to UMDMJ. And that's when they diagnosed me to with uh, pseudotumor cerebrae. What that is, my body makes too much spinal fluid. Spinal fluid is what your brain sits in so it don't uh, knock against your skull. When you have too much of something in your brain, it causes pressure. And that pressure acted as, as if it was a tumor, pseudotumor. And it knocked out my octave nerves. And I was, I woke up after the surgery on both my eyes to alleviate the pressure. And I was angry. I was so angry that I could not see. It it was heartbreaking because I have four other siblings that I was living with at the time. And they really didn't understand that I really couldn't see. And one day I told my mom, I'm like, no, it's black. She's like, you're lying. And I'm like, no, it's not. So For a good week, I just stayed in my room angry and just not understanding why this was happening to me. So I disassociated myself from the world for a week, one week. And after that first week, I really got tired of just staying in my room and crying and just being depressed. And I was like, listen, I talked to myself. I said, self, there's nothing you can do about the situation. You can sit here and be mad and angry, aggressive and sad and just lose yourself in what you lost or you can move through it and get past it. And I chose to get past it. So that day I just hopped in the shower, went downstairs and said, I'm hungry. (laughs) And I went on. I went on from there. You can see my entire interview about Blind Divas on the WBGO Facebook page. The new Sony Pictures classic movie, The Phantom of the Open, tells the hilarious, heartwarming, and unbelievable true story of how 46-year-old Morris Flitcroft made his way into the British Open in 1976 without ever playing a round of golf in his life. He's portrayed by Academy Award and Tony Award-winning actor Mark Rylance. I didn't choose golf. Mark chose me. It was destiny. Ah! Sorry! Flippin' neck. Where I come from. The only job was the shipyard, but I did have ambitions, of course. I'm going to have a crack at the British Open. Golf. Welcome on the tee, Maurice Flitcroft. Don't adjust the television, this is actually happening. The playwright of The Phantom of the Open also co-wrote the book in 2010. Actor, comedian, and writer Simon Farnaby grew up around golf 
and fell in love with Flitcroft's infamous story when he was a youngster. My dad was a greenkeeper at Ganton Golf Club in northeast of England, which is quite a prestigious golf club. But, you know, I don't know what it's like in the States, but greenkeepers are sort of seen as the, the lower echelons of the golfing. You know, golf clubs are like little sort of parliaments, you know. They're like little governance and you got your president and then it goes all the way down and at the lowest rung is the greenkeeper. So, and I, I sort of fell in love with golf. My dad uh, taught me and I was really good, but I couldn't understand why the members looked down on me, on the juniors really. Um, in those days, the juniors and the women were sort of second class citizens and you were allowed to tee off for about five minutes every other Tuesday. Uh, it's a bit different now, but so when, so when I first heard of Morris, so I'll have been, oh, I don't know, like 11 years old or something. He'd be, he was like a folk hero to, to, um, to us juniors. Well, he died in 2007 and, and um, I'd sort of forgotten about him, you know, he, and, and, uh, until 2007, you know, sort of 20, 30 years later. And um, he was in all the broadsheet newspapers over here. So that he was in the Times and the Guardian and the Telegraph. And I think it really, I've tried to work out what it is that we love about him. I think it's because for most of us, sort of humiliation is our worst nightmare. You know, it, it's the stuff of nightmares to be, I often dream of, you know, having been an actor of being on stage and not knowing my lines. And, and that's the equivalent of what Mark Boris was doing, you know. He was in somewhere where he didn't belong. He wasn't skilled. I mean, he didn't know that he wasn't those things. But even when he found out, he was like, well, you know, I gave it my best shot. I gave it a go. So I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. Never mind. And, and I love that about him as well. But just the sheer uh, fearlessness, I suppose. Most of us fear that, that, yeah, we don't try things sometimes because of that fear of humiliation, but we only have one life, you know. Farnaby is famous for many works, including Paddington 2, and is currently working with Paul King on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's sequel, Wonka. You can see my entire Sports Jam interview with Simon Farnaby on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. Until then, stay tuned to WBGO, the world's greatest jazz station, at 88.3 FM and WBGO.org.